Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome or welcome back to the LOH Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and our YouTube channel where you can access all of our message content. Most importantly, I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. This series is especially for those who have a lot of questions about faith. Maybe you had a lot of answers and now you have a lot of questions. Why God? Why not God? Or maybe you've watched the political divisiveness within the church, people claiming to love everybody and hating one part of our country and one political side against the other, and it's made you wonder, where's the love? Or maybe you've gone through trauma or tragedy, as all of us do, sometime or another, and some of those verses that you held to and believed and trusted and people believed for you didn't happen. And then again, we hear from time to time of great Christian leaders who fall from great and fall from grace, And then, over the past few years, a lot of popular Christians in the music world and worship and a lot of the millennial age are saying they're deconstructing their faith and no longer believe in the faith that they grew up believing so strongly. If that's you, I don't condemn you or judge you. It takes a lot of grace to stand strong in the hour in which we're living, the things we all go through and we all go through things. But there's a bigger thought that I want to encourage you to think about today. I want to share it with you in this message. And it's basically that someone has left a record knowing we would need an anchor to hold to when all of the other things not only shake but can sometimes crumble. And in the midst of that, when we look at what we're going to look at today and what we've been looking at over the past weeks, is that God still has the audacity to say that Jesus is still the answer. And it can be a rock-solid confidence in your life. So today I want to close this series out with a message called The Clock and the Calculator. The Clock and the Calculator, that it's all been foretold. The first followers of Jesus either saw or heard that he was killed, and God didn't come to save him, and he died. But now it's wake-up day, it's resurrection day, but they're not into it. The first sermon I preached, we were joining these two men who were walking on a road called the road to a city called Emmaus, which was away from Jerusalem. They had been there and they knew that Jesus had been crucified. He's gone. And it's the third day and they had heard from the community of faith by women who said they saw him alive. But as they're walking away, they're not joy-filled, they're not faith-filled, they're in despair, they're in doubt, they're in disillusionment. And in some mysterious way, the risen Christ joins their walk toward Emmaus and they are kept from knowing that it's him. I don't know what that was about, they're inexplicable, but that was the case. And Jesus meets them and he begins to ask them why they're so downcast. 
and they stop in their tracks and they say, are you the only person living in Jerusalem at this time and you don't know what's happened? What things have just taken place? And Jesus says, what things? What do you mean what things? He knows what things. And they say about Jesus of Nazareth and they said, we had hoped. Thus, this series. We had hoped. We had hoped. He was mighty in the power of God and he did wonders and signs and they killed him. But we had hoped. And then these women come and tell us they saw him alive, but... And that's where we pick up this story. It's wake-up day. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. In other words, doesn't your Bible say that the Messiah had to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses, from Genesis through all the prophets, he explains to them what was said in the scriptures, the only testament, all the things concerning himself. Wow. These events were on God's calendar with such precision that it's mind-blowing. Like the Apostle Paul would later say in the letter to the Galatians, but when the set time had fully come, in other words, when it was the date on the calendar that God had foretold, God sent his son. See, God operates on his own calendar and his own clock and has his own calculator. But he has never kept those events to himself. I have friends who are Hindus. I know people who are sincere, wonderful Buddhists. I have people that I know and have met who are wonderful Muslims. But you know what? The Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran does not have passages of a God who in the Jewish scriptures announces the end before the beginning and tells things that are going to happen before they happen. The Bible isn't a history book, it's a prophecy book. And in that prophecy book, you watch the things that God says will happen and you watch them happen in the history of Israel. Set times, God's calendar. Jesus said so. Jesus had been crucified, risen from the dead, and he spends 40 days with his apostles teaching them about the kingdom of God from the Old Testament scriptures. And on one occasion, they gather around Jesus and they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Good question, because the Old Testament, the only testament said that God would do it, and they always wanted to know. And he said, it's not for you to know the times or dates, but notice this, that the Father has set by his own authority. Jesus is saying, there is a time for that, but this is not that time, this is another time. Actually, Jesus and the apostles were in the midst of one of those set times. And those set times are mentioned 
in your favorite chapter in the Bible, of course, raise your hand, right? Leviticus 23, right? Isn't that your favorite chapter? Leviticus 23, right? All, your, all the verses are underlined. Yeah, Leviticus 23. It's one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Reason being, because it lists these things called the feasts of the Lord. They're not the feasts of Israel, they're the feasts of the Lord. And the word feast in the Hebrew means set times. They began on the night of Passover when the Lord went through the city of Egypt and took the life of all the firstborn because of the oppression of what Pharaoh had done. And he told them to take a lamb for every man, every family, every household, eat it at twilight and put the blood over the doorposts of your house. Don't come out. Do it quickly. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, right? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, they were sitting at the table celebrating that set time a thousand or two years later, right? So that's one of the set times. In the spring, there's the Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, which all happen in a very short period of time. It's like a Trinitarian feasts within a feast. And then 50 days later is Pentecost. Uh, then there are fall feasts, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, Yom, Kipp Yom Kippur, and Tabernacles or Sukkot. Some say those have not been fulfilled yet, but the spring feasts have been fulfilled, we know for certain. For instance, Jesus is the lamb. Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was they, they didn't have time to wait for the bread to rise that they made on the night of Passover. There was no leaven added, and they had to eat it quickly and, and go. They had to get out of there. God was going to send them off to the promised land. So for seven days, what Israel would do each year at that time would sweep their house. God said, sweep your house of all the dust. All the, and, and don't eat bread with leaven for seven days. And leaven is a symbol in the Old Testament of sin. Jesus said he was the bread of life. He was born in a place called Bethlehem, which means it's a house of bread. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? I'm the bread of life. But he was sinless, wasn't he? And he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Well, on the Sabbath day after Passover was a feast within a feast called the Feast of Firstfruits, where, where the priest would take a wave of grain from the new harvest of the earth and wave it as praise to the Lord, thanking the Lord, which is the very day. Jesus comes out of the grave. A grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, and, but then it brings forth fruit, and he comes out of the grave, meets his disciples in, 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 a, in a house. The priest, the for, first fruits would not, he fasted from Passover to first fruits, and he could eat on first fruits. Isn't it interesting when Jesus appears, he says, touch me and see, and then he says, he's the priest, do you have any food? Isn't that pretty cool? The Old Testament isn't as boring as some people think. You just have to know how to read it. You have to know how to read it. A set time. 49 days after the, the Sabbath, they count the time of called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. The Greek word is Pentecost, meaning 50 Pentecost. It, it's the day, and you know what? On that very day, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, God poured out the Holy Spirit. Do you know what's going on? When the Holy Spirit was poured out in the upper room with the 120, the priests took two barley loaves, Jew Gentile, waved it in praise to the Lord. And while that was going on, the Spirit 
was poured out upon the believers and they were to go into all the world, Jew and Gentile, and preach the gospel. And we have been in the age, the feast of Pentecost from then till now because God is still throwing out the net. He is still reaching out for the lost. He is still wanting to reap the harvest until the last trumpet sounds. And then he turns with all his heart back to Jacob to bring them back to himself. Isn't that awesome? It is awesome. Mm -hmm. Jesus is unveiled in the meaning of all those things. And do you know that uh, God would get upset with Israel when they would mingle with the nations around them and, and no longer keep the feasts? And the reason he would get upset with them about it was because they were to teach people and their children the whole plan and meaning so that when he came out of the pages in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the light would go on and they would see how it all met, fit together. God's plan, in spite of fallen preachers and in spite of church abuse, in spite of political divisiveness where people get their eyes off the main thing, with all of the questions of why this doesn't happen and why that, God has sent a record for us to consider that in spite of the things we don't understand, just like that first group of believers that watched God die, he has said it's all been foretold. It's all been foretold, regardless of whether there's tragedy, corruption in a nation, or significant people who claim to be his people stumble and fall. God has a plan, his power is strong, his, his faithfulness is secure, and everything will be accomplished. And I believe what he is saying to you and to me and to the Christians of today is think bigger people, think bigger. Now, let's go into this a little bit more. I wanna talk about math and the Messiah. Now, I'm no mathematician, but I've run this by some of my family who, who are great mathematicians to make sure I'm good on this. Uh, I, after sixth grade math, I sort of checked out. <laughs> I mean, got enough to, I, don't, I graduated, I graduated somehow. Graduated, yeah. And, uh, but anyway, Anyway, you know, in elementary school, I was into I was into a uh, I was into gym, and I was into we playing softball at lunchtime today. That was pretty much me. And uh, but anyway, anyway, Dr. Peter Stoner wrote a book in 1957 called Science Speaks, and he's no dolt. He has a Ph.D. from Pasadena Calif uh, College, Pasadena, California, and actually he's the he was the chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy. He's also a believer and was passionate about Bible prophecies, and he got, he got a group of 600 uh, kids who, who were in college at that time from Inner Varsity Christian Fellowship, and uh, he got them together to look at just eight of the prophecies about Messiah and to see how Jesus lined up with that and to do a statistical probability, a mathematical uh, 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 investigation on what, what are the odds? What are the odds? And so that's what that book is about. And I'm not going to try to ruin all he said by trying to tell you what it means, but I'm just going to give you some highlights from the book. Um, I don't know if it's, out, if it's still in print, but we put that on the screen so you can check it out. You can find it, Google it, and you, you can get all of what I'm saying. But I'm just going to give you eight of the prophecies and... Uh, the ones that I'm giving you, some of them were, were spoken. They're all different people that spoke them. 
Zechariah, Micah, David. Uh, David's prophecies are a thousand years before Jesus is even born. Uh, Micah's are 500 years. Uh, Zechariah's uh, 400. Malachi, 400 years before Jesus is even born. Number one, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. Number two, a, mes- a messenger will prepare the way for him, Malachi 3.1. The Messiah will enter Jerusalem as a king, this is, riding on a donkey. Right? That's not the way the king would come to town, by the way. Zechariah 9.9. 9. Here's another one. The Messiah will be betrayed by a friend and suffer wounds in his hands. Zechariah 13. This is in the 400 BC era that this prophet saying that this will happen to the Messiah. Uh, the fifth one. The Messiah will be betrayed and even gives the amount of the payoff. 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 11, 12. Number six, the betrayal money will be, will be used to purchase something, and it says exactly what? A potter's field. Zech- that's 400 some years before Jesus is born. Uh, number seven, the Messiah will remain silent when he's judged. Didn't speak. Isaiah 53, 7. And eight, he will die by having his hands and feet pierced Psalm 22, which was given a thousand years before Jesus was born. So they multiplied all these things, uh, dividing the, the number by an estimate of the number of people who lived from those times until the present time. This was 1957, so the numbers are a little different now. But what would be the odds of all eight of those prophecy being fulfilled by one person even accidentally? And they came to the probability of being one in 10 to the 17th power, which for a sixth grade level uh, trouble with long division guy, I'm just like, that must really mean something. But for, but, but for, but for the math people here that really know what that is, That's one in 100 quadrillion. So that was eight. Then they said, what about 48 of those prophecies? That would be one in 10 to the 157th power. And then he used an illustration. He said, let's just pretend. He said, if we took uh, electrons, uh, it takes 2.5 times 10 to the 15th power of electrons if you'd laid them out in a single line to just make a line one inch. Suppose we would make a ball of electrons that had the ability to extend out a number from Earth to the distance of six billion light years away, light traveling at 186,000 miles a second. And suppose we had this tremendous amount of electrons, 10 to the 157th power, and we were able to make 500 of those, of those balls with the same radius. And then say we worked day and night and we would take, it would take us 10 to the 10th times the 6 billion to go all the way back to creation to use up all those electrons. My, right, I'm just like. And he said, now what if out of all those electrons you put a mark on just one? Just one. And you found your favorite atheist professor here at Pasadena College. And you asked him on the first try out of all those electrons to pick the one with a mark and he did it. 
That's the odds of one person fulfilling 48 Messianic prophecies. But there are 350 Messianic prophecies. And in a 24-hour period of time, Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled 16 of them in 24 hours. Not 24 years. 24 hours, one person fulfilled 16, and there were 350 that he fulfilled. He goes on to say, any man who rejects Jesus as the Son of God is rejecting a fact proved perhaps more absolutely than any fact in the world. But our relationship with Jesus doesn't have a lot to do with logic, does it? It has a lot to do with something else going on inside of us. Let me do the math in the Messiah on something else. There was a prophet by the name of Daniel. Daniel lived in the 6th century BC. Before that, there was a prophet by the name of Jeremiah who, who was used by God to tell Israel that, he was, that God was going to judge them, that the Babylonian Empire was going to invade Israel and take them captive because they had not listened to the prophets and they let their heart go after other gods and he had warned them and warned them and warned them for years and years and years that they didn't listen. And he told them that that would happen, that Babylon would take them captive to to their land for 70 years. And at the end of those 70 years, God said he would bring them back. And Daniel begins to realize, wow, did the math. We are now there. And he began to pray. He began to cry out to God. He began to ask God for forgiveness. He began to repent for his sins. He began to repent for the sins of the nation and ask God for wisdom. And God heard him and sent an angel. The name of the angel was Gabriel. Same angel who five centuries plus later would visit a young maiden girl named Mary in the hills of the Galilee. But Gabriel says this to Daniel. Consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and your holy city. The word determined in Hebrew means to cut out. It would be like, this is all of time. And I'm going to cut out of all of time, 70 weeks, for a purpose for the whole world to accomplish certain things. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. The word Mashiach, Christos, means anointed one. So when, when is this happening? This is somewhere in 586 BC is when they were taken captive. 70 years since then, this is when he's hearing this. 70 weeks, let's do it. They're weeks of years. That means 490 years God has cut out. This is God's calendar. And he's going to finish transgression. He's going to put an end to sin. He's going to confirm, confirm vision and prophecy. He's going to anoint the most holy. And I'm terrible with numbers. I left out five. But five is bring in everlasting righteousness. All right? And then he gives him the time stamps. This is so cool. This is in the Old Testament. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build, build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. In other words, 
When this happens, push the stopwatch button to on. There shall be seven weeks, that's 49 years, and 62 weeks, 434, totaling 483. I can do addition. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. Now, that's the prophecy. The history of that unfolds. If you read Ezra and Nehemiah, you watch it all. You see Artaxerxes declare it. You see them come back. You see in the time of trouble and persecution, they still build the temple and the wall. They build the wall in 52 days. And then he goes on to say, after the 62 weeks, Mashiach shall be cut off. The Hebrew means killed, but not for himself. What? In other words, the Messiah will die, but the purpose of it will not be something he caused. There will be another purpose... And the people of the prince who is still to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood. Here's how it happened in history. In 457 B.C., and this isn't Christian talk, this is history channel. Artaxerxes made a decree in 457 B.C. If you subtract from 483, which are the 69 weeks that he mentioned, we just read, if you subtract 457 from that, you come to a time in history, 26 AD. This is very interesting. We know that Jesus was born when Herod the king was alive. But Herod died before zero. Herod died, most historians say, in 4 BC. Some say 1, but most say 4. So that means Jesus had to be born before zero. Okay? But what we know is, is that Herod had all of the uh, baby boys in Bethlehem killed up to two years of age, which tells you Herod is knowing that when the, when the, when the Magi came to Jesus, he wasn't in a manger, he was probably a toddler, right? We also know that Jesus' ministry began at approximately, not at, but approximately age 30 by Luke's account. And we also know that his ministry lasted approximately three years because of John's gospel, time stamps three Passovers. So if you go, if you, if you take 6 BC and you add 32 years, do you know that the decree to go back and build the city was in Nisan, which is in a car, it's a Hebrew month, March, April. It was in Nisan when Artaxerxes declared. And it was Nisan 14 when Jesus was crucified. Probably in 26 AD. But there's more to come. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations, which is a way of saying, on the wing of the temple of, of Jerusalem, there will be a, an abominable act done by the desolator, by the destroyer, by this one, until the consummation which is determined is poured out. The week before Jesus is arrested, he has preached his last public sermon and told the, told the Jewish leaders they would not see him again until they learned to cry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as he's leaving, the disciples begin to look at the temple and they begin to marvel at the beauty of the temple. And Jesus says, do you see all these stones? Not one of them will be left 
that won't be thrown down. They're like, what? And they ask him, when will this be? And what will be the sign that that's going to happen? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? So in Matthew 24, in Mark 13, in Luke 21, you read those accounts and Jesus says, when you see, talking them, not us, talking to them, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel, let the reader understand. In other words, do the math. When you see that, if you're in the city, run for your lives. If you're not in the city, don't go in. Right? If you study history, not even Christian history, if you study history and you study about the, the Roman war against Jerusalem, you will find that Titus the general and the Roman army slaughtered them. Slaughtered, it, it's, it's so graphic, it's almost, it almost turned your stomach where, where people actually ate people because they had, they had shut down the city, you couldn't go in or out and they just starved them to death and then went in and slaughtered them too. But the Christians got out because they took Jesus at his word. Now what does all that have to do with Easter in 2022? Everything. Because the birth, the ministry, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and the second coming We're all foretold in the Old Testament, which we've just seen. Do the math on 848. If he did those things and spoke of them before they happened, there's a good shot that the rest are going to happen as well. And what validates the fact that more to come will come is because if he really does come out of that grave... Everything he said is validated. Here's why I believe in the resurrection. I have questions. My questions are, number one, why did the Roman soldiers flee? Again, if the New Testament is the accurate account, why did the Roman soldiers flee? They were sent by Pilate, probably at least 15 to 20 war gladiators, war gladiators, to seal the tomb with the Roman stamp, which that in itself, if you, if you dealt with that, you, you would be executed. And they're stationed mostly three to five at the site and then backyards and backyards so that you could not get near that tomb. They wanted to make sure that the disciples could not steal the body and then say he was risen, right? Again, we're assuming the New Testament's true. What made the soldiers flee? 
Because when Mary and the other Mary and the friends come to the tomb, they're coming to the tomb of spices. They're not coming to greet the risen Christ. They know that Nicodemus and they know Joseph of Arimathea anointed his body for burial because, and now it's been three days or more and, and, and they love him and they, they don't want there to be a stench and so they come to redo that. And the light bulb goes, how are we gonna get the, who's gonna, the Roman soldiers aren't gonna do that. How are we gonna move the stone away from? When they get there, there's no Roman soldiers. I want to get back to that in a minute. But here's, here's another reason why I believe. The way the Gospels are written, if these guys were trying to convince all of civilization that their guy died, but they didn't want to face that, so they made up this story, it's a poor way to sell a convincing lie. They include in it the doubt of the disciples to the words of the women, they include in it some of the number one guys close to him. One took his own life. The other guy denied him. You could be like, you guys didn't even believe it. In that culture at that time, it's a lot different than now. Women in our culture have a right, have a say, have, should have a great say. I remember a long time ago, there was a cigarette commercial uh, was for the cigarettes. I wasn't born, but some of you old people were. Vir Virginia Slims, raise your hand. You, you're like, I still smoke. And I, so Virginia Slims, right? And, 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 the, and, the, and the tagline, you've come a long way, baby. It was like, you're right? Anybody? Any, I, I was told that anyway. Anyway, so, you know, back in that culture, this, is, this isn't good, but back in that culture, a woman didn't have a say. None. And a woman's word in court meant absolutely nothing. So if you're trying to sell a lie, why in all four gospel accounts do you start off with, women saw him alive after he died? And you never edit that, ever. and you don't hide the doubt. Here's another question I have. Why did the majority of those uh, called by Jesus himself apostles die saying they saw him alive after he died? Why did they not only die, they were executed violently. So, uh, Nathaniel was speared to death. Simon was crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. I think it was Thomas who was flayed alive, meaning skinned alive. And I know, right? The, the, some, and had the offer to recant and live. I get the chill bumps when I watch Braveheart and Mel Gibson instead of taking the way out, screams, come on, come on, Freya. <laughs> Who did that? I love you. <laughs> In the back. If I had an extra chocolate bunny, it would be all yours, brother. <laughs> I had to buy mine this year. And I got a big, fresh jar of peanut butter. I'm going to dip that bad boy tonight and just chomp the ears right off that thing. Return to my childhood. Yeah. But they all died saying they saw him alive.
But to say differently would have been a lie. But here's why I believe. Another reason. Because arrow is my arrow that hits the bullseye. You're like, what does that mean? So when they're walking to the tomb, they say, who can we get to move the stone from the entrance of the tomb? What they would do, the stones were so heavy, they, they would build so there would be like a little ramp. You could roll it down and it would be secure. To move it away from the entrance would take a couple people with some sort of mechanism to, to create leverage to push that back because it's too heavy for someone to move it. So these women, they're thinking, they're, they're, so, they're so in love with Jesus, even in his death, that they're, they're, not, they're thinking with their heart, God love them. And then they're thinking, what are we going to do? The soldiers, are, who's going to move the... When they get there, when they get there, the stone is not just lodged back away from the entrance, it's a road, the Greek word A-I-R-O. It means, not this, means this. And those stones weighed most of the time, two tons. How did, who moved the stone? Not from the entrance, who moved the stone? Who arrowed the stone? Answer, if the New Testament's correct. An angel comes down, soldiers are there, and it says that he picked up the stone and carried it and sat on it. Again, that's probably not true. We're all here just making up this game. But let's say it happened. Now, if I was directing the scene, the next Easter musical, I want to claim right, director's rights on this because the way I'm going to do it is the way I wish... I, don't, I want to see the videotape of that in heaven someday. I hope the angel came down took the stone and did like Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> or on the toe. And then went and sat on it, looked out at the gladiators and went, boo. <laughs> I have always told God the way I would do things. If I, and, and that would be the way I would do it. Not just, and maybe he did. Here's another question. Who changed Rome? You know, within a few centuries? Okay, here's this, here's this, here, here's Jesus of Nazareth. Now Jesus Christ is so Jesus Christ that people don't even really identify. It's religious It's in, in, in some place. It's just Jesus Christ. He's like this, like Robin Hood. He's like, yeah, well, I mean, uh. no, Jesus of Nazareth lived. That's a fact. You can't do the thing he wasn't even real anymore. Even, even, even atheists know that if you just study, Jesus of Nazareth lived, right? And he was a peasant that lived in the North Galilee, very poor. And he begins to preach so much so that people all the way from Jerusalem without cars come out to hear him. People from Syria come out to hear him. But here's the thing. And, and to leave your job, you had to, you had to wor work to eat. I mean, literally. I mean, you got paid so you could eat. 
You know, these people were very poor all through, the, all through, all through Israel, very, very poor. And the poor people heard him gladly, but they came out to these places. And, 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 and the Sanhedrin documents, you can see, the Sanhedrin documents say, this isn't Christian, this isn't people trying to work, work this deal. The Sanhedrin documents say that people came out from everywhere to hear Jesus of Nazareth. Now here's the thing, how could you hear him? I mean, if you're, if you're out by you know, thousands, if you have 5,000 men, plus women and children, just at the event where he feeds the multitudes, right? How do you hear him without microphones, without audio, without any of that? How do you project? The Sanhedrin documents say they came because of the cures. I'm not, I, I'm not talking about the TBN evangelists saying that. I'm talking about the Sanhedrin, Jewish people documented. The, they didn't say they believed it, but people came out because of the cures. And the Roman documents say similar. My reason for saying that is, here is somebody put it in our terms, and this is a little bit different, but when Jack Kent Cook, who used to own the Washington, what are they called now, the commanders, right? They were called the Redskins, and they had their training facilities at Frostburg State University. Did you guys know that? San Francisco, did you know that? Did you know that? That's my man. Anyway, and so they said that Jack Kent Cook in his limo Came up from D.C. the back way. How many of you guys know the back way, right? We all take the back, hit the, and he gets these tassels making fun of them. Paul, Paul, <laughs> Flintstone. They say he was in the back going, Flintstones, meet the Flintstones. He's like, where am I sending my team? Oh, to Frostburg. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm making a point. I love all those places. <laughs> but when they said, Nazareth, what the heck can any Messiah is going to come from Nazareth? Get it? How do you get from there and then executed by Rome? How do you get from there to a few centuries later, the emperor declares Christianity as the official religion of the empire? How do you do that? How do you do that? Western civilization. I was kidding. I came over to Connor before I saw this crowd. I said, I'm really nervous. Now, who is Jesus again? You know, it's like, it's like billions of people, billions of people. But here's the real reason I believe. Because he changed my life. When I was 17 years old, I had been raised in church. I knew the Bible, but I wasn't a Christian. I was an emotional feeler, but not a follower. So at Easter, I did the Easter thing. Not every year I brought peeps in my pocket, but I, I got emotionally attached to the cross resurrection but then off my merry way to live for me I did that my whole life I could have led anybody to Christ not even living for him I knew that much Bible I knew the answers in the book and I believed it in my head 
But on a Sunday morning, I've told you this story before, my father made me go to church. I said I wasn't going. So he grabbed my ankles and pulled my butt and landed on the floor, said, get dressed. And when he did that, I thought, I better get dressed. So I got dressed. I wore, on purpose, my Beatles shirt <laughs> to, a, to a church that believes that if you didn't wear a suit, you weren't really saved. So I strutted in with my Beatles shirt on. Thank you very much. I looked nice on the outside, but on the inside, I was going to wear my Beatles shirt. I was such a shy kid that I would never use my gifts of music or arts or anything ever. I was always scared to death for anybody to call on me to go up to the board, especially math, but anything, and I would never ask a girl out on a date. I was just a very inwardly shy kid, but also a broken kid on the inside and a rebel. But on that Sunday morning, sitting in the back with my arms folded just to prove to my dad that I wasn't going to get it. I told him, I'm not going to stand if they stand to sing. I'm not going to open the hymn book. Remember hymn books? I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not. And I, did, I mm, sat there. And by the end of that thing, I don't understand it. But a heavenly meltdown took place inside of me. And they didn't even have an altar call. They didn't, the guy didn't say, people come to Jesus like a Billy. And they're all standing to sing to go home. And I, without invited, walked to the front. I'm 17. If a girl would have asked me to dance, I would have passed out and died on the spot at a, at a, at a dance. <laughs> I would have passed out and died. And in front of all the people, and especially uh, the state champion Allegheny the team of that year, one of my best partying buddies was the, was the number one running back in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the city. And I knew that if I walked to that thing, uh, he was going to laugh, and everybody in school would know it. But something got a hold of me. And I went to that altar, and I just knelt there, and the power of God hit my life. I went home, found a Bible I'd had since I was eight years old. I was 17, and I started devouring that book like a starving soul. I began to read it like I was looking for treasure buried. It was spring break at Allegheny College, and I went from this kid that wouldn't say boo to anybody. I went back with, to Allegheny College and talked to everybody about Jesus. And I lived in Bel Air, uh, not Bel Air, like Maryland, but Bel Air out there, Bel Air, that way, out there, Bel Air, south. And, and I lived in the, in, the, in the lower part of Bel Air, and this is no lie. And I'm not bragging, I'm just saying this is what, what I did. I went from that to this. I went to every house myself in, in lower Bel Air, knocked on the door, 17-year-old kid and said, can I tell you about Jesus Christ? Nope, boom. Went off to the next house. Now, who, who would do that? I did that. And I didn't do that because I was something. I couldn't help it. I guess when you're raised from the dead, you got to tell someone. I don't do that every day of my life, but I went from that kid that was afraid to do anything, and I haven't shut up since. Jesus is still doing the Jesus thing. 
He's changed people and he's changing people in China. He's changing people in India. There are people in Southeast Asian islands that believe that Jesus is the Son of God. There are people in South America and Australia. There are Hindus converted to Christ. There are Muslims converted to Jesus having dreams of Jesus Christ in their sleep. There are Jewish people turning to their real Messiah. There are atheists who aren't atheists anymore. There are evolutionary scientists that say, now I believe. There are astral physicists who say I was lost and now I'm found he changed my Jesus is still doing the Jesus thing mm. I want to ask you to do something I want you to make a decision about something before you leave questions I want you to consider to sync your watch now my watch right here doesn't even work. <laughs> but it matches my boots. <laughs> and I never know what time it is anyway, so who cares? But I'm not asking you to look at your Apple Watch. I'm not asking you to ask Alexa to remind you what time it is when you need to do something at 4 o'clock today. Although, God's watch. Jesus said... When you see these things, and there's another seven years to come at the end of the age, and Jesus said, I'm going to come like a thief in the night, and there are going to be people that are not going to be ready. They're going to be eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, just like business as usual, up to the day. Sink your watch. Secondly, have you saved the date? What date? The cross. In other words, you, you, you. Whoever you are, whoever you are, if you're watching, listening, what are you doing about the historical fact of Jesus of Nazareth? And that date I'm talking about is that date on that hill. That cross. What say you? Another question, maybe more personal, but hey. Are you in the secret service? Or are you a storyteller? In other words, the Pharisees, there were many of the Pharisees that believed that Jesus was who he was, but out of fear of man, they would not publicly stand by him. Do people know that you honestly believe him? Does he mean that much to you that you are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or are you a secret servant? He is looking for storytellers because his power is released through this story and your story. Here's the great part. You don't have to be an expert storyteller because God uses frail, broken people who have one thing in common. Like the chosen says, like Mary Magdalene in that scene, I was one way and now I'm another way. And the only difference is in the middle is him. 
What I want to challenge you to do today, when you get home, make a public statement on social media, and you say, I was one way, and now I'm another way, and the only thing different is him. Would you do that? Then you're out there. You're out there. Because God uses imperfect storytellers. And you may not have a great story. You may not know how to break down theological philosophies. You may not know how to point to passages of the scriptures. But you might be able to say this. I was living in despair and I still battle depression. But Jesus comforts me in the midst of it. I lost a loved one and I've got more questions than answers, but Jesus swallows up my perplexities with his peace and his presence. He pulled me through, he pulled me out, he picked me up. He's changing my life. I got a long way to go. I am never gonna get an award or a trophy for being a perfect moralist, but he is working something new inside of me and it's all because of him. He's making me new, he's making things new. He has proven that he's stronger than the weight of my worries and the weight of the sins of the world and he has given me a strength that I've never known before. You can tell that story. People need to know it. You can say these three words, come and see. You can say these three words, come and believe. And God tells us these three words, go and tell. Go and tell. Tell your story. Tell your story. I don't want to say goodbye to the resurrection until next year today. I want to say goodbye to a life that isn't living considering the resurrection every day. Because life is hard and it's also beautiful and everybody out there and everybody in here needs a savior in order to walk through all the hard and the beautiful in a way that it doesn't take you out. And so with that said, I want everybody to stand and I want to leave you with this word right here. This word right here. I love this. Look at this. And they went out and preached everywhere. And most of them weren't preachers. They were just storytellers. They went out and preached everywhere. And this is the great part. The Lord working with them and confirm the word through the accompanying signs. I could tell you a lot of stories, but I'd sound bragging and didn't brag. I could brag about Jesus, but I can, I, I, I can, I watched, I've watched God do things through where he would tell me I would be in a supermarket or I'd be on the boardwalk at Ocean City or I'd be in a, a deli in South Florida or wherever I'd be and not all the time but every now and then when that knower of your knower says talk to that person just go over and tell them you don't even know where it's going to go and the next thing you know uh, there's a story that unfolds and, and, and a God happening happens not because I was a preacher I was listening to him tell me to do it. There are accompanying signs waiting for you on the other side of go. There are people on the other side that need to hear your story, not a preacher's story. They need to hear your story because they'll believe your story. Preachers have stories. Your story. Your story.
I want to challenge you today to start it out by going home and on Facebook. I want to see them. I'm going to look for them. I was one way. Now I'm another way. And the only thing between that person and that person is Jesus. Come on now. Might God get somebody's attention that you've been praying for for a very long time? You'll see. You never know unless you go. And they went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord accompanied them with awesome signs. Would you bow your heads, please? All over this room, I want to pray, Lord, for every man, every woman, every young person that you are creating a moment like you did for me, a turning point of faith in your life, your death, and your resurrection, and there is a gracious, powerful, personal invitation for them to come and see. Open their heart. I pray for believers who feel themselves slipping away, and they haven't told their friends, they haven't told their prayer group, and they definitely haven't told their families, and they feel like they're slipping away. I pray for that man, I pray for that woman, I pray for that teenager, I pray for that college student. I pray, oh God, you know, help them to know you know, and I pray that you'd come up close to them with your presence, even in the midst of their perplexities, and envelop them with your breath from heaven and touch them, Lord, touch them. I said last week, friend, if you have fallen from a place of faith and you can't stand yet, just lay where you are and don't move. Just lay where you are and Jesus will come and find you. I promise you that. I know it for a fact in my own life. And I pray for every believer today that we'd go from people that just know about the cross and know about the tomb and I pray, God, that we would experience a new fire in our heart, a fresh wind of the Spirit to make us witnesses with boldness, with love and humility. No big mouths, but a courage to share our story with the good, bad, the ugly, and the grace of Jesus being the difference because people need to hear. And I pray for that. I was one way, now I'm another way, and the thing that happened in between was him. If you need prayer, if you need to seal the deal, do it at your seat. But maybe you're wondering, man, my heart's beating out of my chest, brother. Tim, would you freak out if I came up for prayer? Absolutely not. From one freak to another. Let's be Jesus freaks. And just let him have our lives. Father, I pray you draw every person, make something beautiful in every life today in your name. Hey, this is Pastor Dustin, and thanks for listening. If you live in the Western Maryland area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services or weekday gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environment, please visit myloh.church.